This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. AI is making waves in every field it touches. President Biden is now on TikTok and the election draws closer each day. With so much going on in the world, it is hard to keep up with it all, let me tell you. Hi, I'm Kai Rizdal, the co-host of Make Me Smart. It's a podcast from Marketplace. And every weekday, Kimberly Adams and I break down the latest in business and the economy with short daily episodes to make it easy for you to stay in the know. Listen to Make Me Smart wherever you get your podcasts. Less than 1% of the world's diamonds are worthy of the Forevermark inscription, a promise of beauty, rarity, and responsible sourcing. Forevermark, a diamond is forever. Find your design at forevermark.com. This episode of Little Gold Men is brought to you by Squarespace. Start building your website today at squarespace.com. Enter offer code gold men, that's G-O-L-D-M-E-N, at checkout to get 10% off. Squarespace, build it beautiful. Hello and welcome to Little Gold Men, the award season podcast from Vanity Fair and Panoply. I'm Katie Rich, the deputy editor of VanityFair.com, and I'm in a studio in Los Angeles, but I'm joined from New York by Vanity Fair's digital director, Mike Hogan. Hey, Katie. And Vanity Fair's film critic, Richard Lawson. Hello. So this week I've made my way to Los Angeles ahead of Sunday's Oscars. It really is that time. And who better to join us or join me as a guest in the studio here than Pete Hammond, who is the awards guru for Deadline Hollywood and someone who's been on the ground in the thick of the Hollywood awards season that we've been talking about from a distance. And he can really report back firsthand on what's been going on, especially in these last few weeks. And then from there, we're going to dive into the category that's always crucial to winning any Oscar pool, which is the short films. We have watched most of them, and uh, some of them are kind of hard to see, which we might talk about as well. And then finally, we'll go big before we go home and offer some predictions for the starriest non-acting category, I think, Best Original Song. So now we're joined by Pete Hammond, who is the awards columnist and chief film critic for Deadline Hollywood and one of the people who follows the awards season obsessively the same way we do. But Pete, uh, you're here with me in L.A. You live in L.A. You've been kind of on the ground for this whole season and many seasons before it. And we've been talking about the awards season for months now, but I know that in the last few weeks between the nominations and the Oscars itself, it really changes like the kinds of parties and the way that people get out there. What's the drumbeat been like different since the nominations were announced? What's the How have the tides changed? Changing. Well, they've changed quite a bit. I mean, before the nominations, sort of pretty much anything goes. They allow all these breakfasts, you know, lunches, dinners, parties, Q and A's, everything imaginable you can do, and you would see the same kind of uh, people. Academy voters go to the same events over and over. At the end of it, I thought I was on a cruise ship, just leaving. You know, it was like nuts. <laughs> Endless shrimp buffets. Oh, and the same people for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. It was like crazy. But afterwards, the Academy has very stringent 
rules. Once they put their nominations out, they have a trademark list, they call it. And then there's only a, a Q&As allowed, no more food, no more uh, free rides there. And uh, But there's been quite a few Q&As. The way around this, though, is a lot of the uh, nominees go to these endless banquets for Guild Awards. And so I've been on that circuit. And uh, it's usually been at the Hyatt uh, Century Plaza here or the Beverly Hilton. And there's one night after night, or there has been. There's even one tonight, believe it or not. They're still going on. <laughs> the Costume Designers Guild. Wow. Um, <laughs> and so a lot of the nominees will show up to present at those things. And so I've seen Brian Cranston at quite a few of them. And wow. uh, yeah, and so that's one way to go hobnob because there's a lot of voters in those rooms with the guilds. And so that's sort of what's been going on. There's been the uh, film festival uh, circuit with the uh, Santa Barbara Film Festival. A lot of tributes, a lot of people. I uh, uh, moderated a couple there. One was Sylvester Stallone uh, that was a lot of fun. And then I did one with Brie Larson and Saoirse Ronan, two oh. Best Actress nominees together. And except that Brie is doing this King Kong movie in Australia and she uh, could only get off a certain amount of time. So she was in, a, in an office at A24, which released the movie Room in Los Angeles and Skyped in to Santa Barbara. <laughs> so I was talking to her like that. And, uh, and then Saoirse was with me. So, you know, the best laid plans. It was fun, though. But then she had to get on a plane. She told me she's been going back and forth so much. It's so crazy. That movie has been shooting in Vietnam in Hawaii and now Australia. And she came back from Hawaii four times, from Vietnam twice, and from Australia now twice, and, and more to come because it goes through the end of March, just to uh, attend these day events you know, for, wow. for the uh, campaign. Wow. Pete, I want to go back to something you said. Are you telling us that Brian Cranston could be staging a stealth attack on DiCaprio <laughs> by doing all these events? He's trying to because when you talk to him, he's the only one that doesn't say Leo's got it in the bag. Um, so, so Eddie Redmayne and Michael Fassbender are happy to say Leo's got this one? Yeah, well, Michael Fassbender hasn't been around much, and he's working a lot. He wasn't even at the Oscar nominees lunch, Michael That's Fassbender. Right, yeah. Eddie Redmayne sort of knows he's not going he to win last two year. in a he's row. He won last year. He's fine. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think everybody is absolutely convinced this is Leo Gier. But Brian Cranston, I think, you know, look, there have been shocking surprises in the past, not so much in the era of the blogger, as I call it, the, those of us who write about this incessantly, and you sort of can tell what's going to happen. There's very little room for big surprises anymore, and I do think uh, there's a lot of influence with all of this going on about who's a winner, and I, I, I don't care if Academy voters say they aren't influenced by it. I think they are. Mm-hmm. If you did see room for a surprise, uh, where would you see it in, in, in any of the major categories, like an, an upset? Supporting actress is the only one of the four acting categories where I think there might be a little room for maybe Kate Winslet because she's won at the Golden Globes and she won at BAFTA. And those are two big deals. Uh, but Alicia Vikander is the favorite there because she's not only just in The Danish Girl, and they did manage to convince the Academy Actors Branch that that is a supporting performance and not the lead that it is. And she's also in Ex Machina, which got a couple of nominations. So people are seeing that. So I think they're really impressed by her. But uh, Kate Winslet beat her twice 
Only when she was nominated for Ex Machina, though, in these other contests that put her in the leading categories for Danish Girl. And so um, there is a little bit of a shot there for Kate Winslet, but I still think Alicia Vikander. Otherwise, I think it's uh, Leo and Brie Larson for uh, lead actress in Room and then uh, Sylvester Stallone. How can you deny that kind of Rocky-like story uh, for him here in supporting actor, even though he didn't win at SAG? It was too late, really, for SAG when Creed came in with their early voting deadlines and at BAFTA, too, where Creed wasn't uh, widely seen to get him a nomination. But, uh, you know, so uh, in terms of uh, big upsets, uh, you know what? Maybe in foreign language film. Everybody thinks Son of Saul from Hungary is by far the favorite. But I've been hearing a lot of talk about Mustang, the French entry, which is actually a Turkish movie. I've heard a lot of that. And actually, you know, the Academy, uh, the way they vote for foreign language film, they have a big committee that picks six. And then they have a smaller executive committee. They call them the saves. You know, sometimes if the big committee has overlooked an obvious contender or something that will embarrass the Academy by not being, you know, uh, mentioned in the final nine, they will put that on there. And that's the case definitely with uh, Son of Saul. It was not picked by that committee of six. So if the... Oh, really? Yeah. So if the thinking goes, although the Academy won't admit that, I've actually got that 100% confirmed from from someone on that And this committee. has happened a couple of times in recent years yes. since they established that kind of save committee. Many times. Uh, the movie uh, City of God was not nominated. That's sort of when it started. And that was... One, didn't it? And it, well, no, but it came back the next year with their screwy rules where it was nominated for four other Oscars, a director <laughs> and things, further embarrassing that foreign, <laughs> foreign language committee. So, you know, so, and then after that, it was four months, three weeks, two days, mm-hmm. uh, which won at Cannes and was not even uh, a finalist there. And so, uh, so they, uh, they took this into their own hands and have made sure that some of these movies have a, a, a fighting chance here. And anyway, so I don't know. I wouldn't be shocked if, if Mustang came in there. You know, the one that's really trying to stage the shocker of all shockers is Room. Yeah, there was a and, whole Times article about it last yes, week. Yes, and I actually started it before that. They got it slightly wrong, the New York Times here, because they're comparing it to Million Dollar Baby. But Million Dollar Baby had been winning some Guild Awards. It had won the DGA Award. It wasn't that big a surprise by the time that won. Uh, This is closer to the year when uh, Chariots of Fire won in 1981. You had these big movies, Reds, and you had On Golden Pond, and they were splitting up Oscars in other categories. You had Raiders of the Lost Ark. And this little British movie nobody was expecting came in and won Best Picture. That's what they're hoping with uh, Room, that it can sneak in because that's a movie that ever since it debuted at Telluride, for whatever reason, a lot of voters have been afraid to see. They Mm -hmm. go like, oh, I don't know if I can handle that or whatever. When it got four nominations, including a key, very surprise nomination for directing for Lenny Abrahamson, suddenly they're watching it and it's become really the last major film they're seeing here and it's got such an emotional impact they're hoping that that can translate into the kind of numbers you need to sort of in a perfect world for them all these other big movies the big short and spotlight and the revenant would split evenly and a little movie like that could sneak in do you buy it no not really (laughs) (laughs) well pete i wanted to ask you what what do you what do you think will win best picture do you have a strong i have vacillated back and forth in our print edition for deadline uh because i had early things even before bafta i went with the big short based on they have a preferential balloting system so it goes on what your uh, number one votes and number two votes your number two choice on these ballots can be just as important or more important in some cases 
than your number one choice. So I thought maybe Big Short, uh, but now I'm beginning to think, and I'm probably switching, is I think The Revenant is poised uh, here because to win a traditional kind of Oscar race. It's going to win Best Actor. It's going to win Best Director. Alejandro Gonzalez Iñárritu won, won the DGA Award. That almost always goes hand in hand. It'll probably win sound, and it'll definitely win cinematography. And that's four right there. And then you throw in Best Picture. That's the kind of thing. For Spotlight, our um, big short to win, it's highly unlikely either one of those movies would win any other Oscar except screenplay yeah. in their respective categories. Yes. And no movie has won Best Picture since 1952 and The Greatest Show on Earth with just one other Oscar. And in that case, it was for Motion Picture Story, a now defunct category for Greatest Show on Earth. So that, and, and the reason for that is that it, it shows your support across all the branches of the Academy. And so it's very unusual for a movie, but I do not see Spotlight or The Big Short most likely winning anything else. The big category to watch is film editing. Both of them are nominated there against Revenant and the likely winner Mad Max there. If one of those movies, Spotlight or Big Short, should win Best Film Editing, they'll walk all the way to Best Picture with that. And that's an award that gets handed out earlier in the night, so you yes. can kind of adjust your Oscar pool yes. accordingly. That would be the one I would watch for, Oscar pool. Is there people. any hope left for Mad Max having that room kind of resurgence you were talking about of being the, on, the number two on everyone's ballots and then sneaking yeah, in? Yeah, you know, it's funny, but I, I, I don't see Mad Max winning ultimately in Best Picture. I see it uh, cleaning up technically. I, I think it will win in costumes, makeup and hairstyling and film editing and maybe sound editing and production design. It could win four or five Oscars. Well, Pete, all year long, I've, I've been saying that, you know, it's it's my theory was it's just a bit weird for Oscar voters. And you talk to more Oscar voters than anybody. What do you think? I mean, do they is this just kind of a strange movie to put on a, a screener with light streaming through the windows, as I've been saying all yeah, year? Yeah, I actually thought I was stunned. I have to give a credit to this group I never give credit to. But the National Board of Review was the very first one that came out and they gave it best picture. And I was going like, really? Mad Max? I didn't see that coming. I thought, yeah, it's going to get some nominations no mad max movies ever been nominated for anything you know all of a sudden there's this one that came out there and i think it got the academy to take a another look at it or those people who weren't going to look at it at all to look at it it's a fun movie it's a big movie but i don't think it's a traditional kind of academy film that would be a that would be a big upset right now i think that's about fourth down the line here on our list of possibilities do you root for upsets or do you? Uh, yes. Well, you make all these predictions, though, like we do, and you kind yeah. of want to be right, but yeah. there's a fun in upsets, too. You want to be right, but if you're right, you know, and you're just picking basically the field and the and the favorites, you know, there's a lot of people that'll be right. Um, <laughs> I'd rather be wrong and have it be just like stunning upsets and things, but it it rarely is these yeah. days. You know, you, you hope for that to happen, and but it's there's so many pre, uh, precursor award shows now. There's so much of this talk, so much of it that goes on for six months from uh, Labor Day to now, that a possibility of, of a surprise is is very limited. Although the Academy is one of the few groups that does this preferential ballot where, you know, you're, uh, you have to list your favorites for Best Picture, one through eight in this case. It can come up with a different result than, say, the BAFTA, which is a straight straight down ballot or uh, DGA or any of these others that have picked these movies so far. And that's why there's a lot of hope uh, among the uh, campaigners and a lot of campaigning going on for Spotlight and for Big Short, that they are still in this to win it. 
And it's a, it's definitely a horse race this year. There's no question about that. If anybody tells you 100% I know what's going to happen, I think they're crazy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look at it. You, your normal tea leaves here have picked different movies down the line. PGA, Producers Guild, has not been wrong in eight years in picking the best picture It's a better winner. track record than the DGA. Yes. And they also are the other group that uses preferential voting. They went for the big short. And uh, and then, of course, DGA went for The Revenant and Writers Guild went for Spotlight and The Big Short and, uh, and SAG, and went, SAG for Spotlight. went for Spotlight. And it's been spread out all over the place. BAFTA went for Revenant. So there's no one tea leaf that we're looking to here. But maybe while watching the, the show on Sunday night, if Mad Max doesn't win editing, which we kind of assume it will, that could co- maybe mean that something is shifting, right? Is That's that, right. That, that, okay. is, that is key. And, and you could look at a couple of victories in past years where they didn't win director, and that was the case of Argo. And that won film editing, and that won a screenplay award, and that won best picture. That would be the model. Uh, The same thing happened with Crash. It won screenplay, it won film editing, and it won best picture. And, uh, And those are the models that you're looking at for a spotlight or a big short victory. When we had Peggy Siegel on the show last week, she was talking about how a lot of the Academy members who she works with are really embarrassed by the whole yes. diversity controversy that's been going on. Not They know that they're not racist, but they are sad that this has become the narrative of the award season. Do you get the sense that it's going to be an odd Oscars for that? Like, are people kind of just ready to get this over with? Uh, I, think th- I think the Academy's ready to get it over with (laughs) because now they have to go in and sort of fulfill their mandate of doubling the number of uh, minority members of the Academy and that's all going to start right after the Oscars by 2020 right yeah Yeah. and and they have to find these members and and it's very controversial within the Academy and I did listen to that your your talk with Peggy and uh, yeah I think it's a I think it's a, a problem right now. Uh, I, I don't think it's really the Academy's fault here. I mean, you know, some years it just turns out that way. It's a democracy. Everybody's got their own ballot. They don't sit in a room and say, we're going to snub Idris Elba or we're going to do this. They all have their own vote. And, and there's other reasons things happen. I think uh, Straight Out of Compton should have been a Best Picture nominee for sure. And if they had 10 like they started out to, I think it would have been, and I think they would have avoided all of this. Idris Elba, who won the SAG Award, might have been nominated for Beast of No Nation, but, you know, there is some real blowback against the fact that that's Netflix and it went straight to streaming, and that's a threat to the theatrical exhibition community and to the whole thing that the Academy of Arts and Sciences is all about seeing these things in theaters and on screen. So I talked to people who said, if we give Netflix, if we let them in on these major categories, we're stupider than, than we even think. <laughs> and uh, yeah, somebody, a head of marketing in a studio told me that. So, you know, I think that's a problem. But, you know, two years ago, uh, 12 Years a Slave was the winner of Best Picture. Lupita Nyong'o won. They do need to fix the membership, though. There's no question. And everybody realizes that when you look at an organization that's 94 percent white, 77 percent male, that's pretty astounding. The the number of women members is somewhere in the 30s there, which really shocks me. But it reflects the industry, you know, and the Academy is sort of the last stop on this thing. But as Cheryl Boone Isaacs, who's the head of the Academy right now, says, you know, we're going to a lead instead of uh, waiting for the industry to catch up here. You yeah. know, the, well, Pete, and, you mentioned so. that that it's controversial that the the membership change uh, is controversial among yes. existing voters. What have you heard from voters about that? What oh, are they my saying? God, what haven't I heard from voters? <laughs> they are just so. Uh, a lot of them, the older ones, who will be most affected by this, based on how much they're working in recent years and that sort of thing, uh, because are they're going to lose upset. their voting rights. Some of some yes. of them lose. 
the ability to vote. And they all feel they made a pact with the Academy when they joined. No one said it wasn't for life. It was a life membership. It really is. You know, they have only been asked along the way. The Academy regularly asks people, if you'd like to switch to an associate membership, a non-voting membership, since you're now retired or whatever, that would be great. They have tried to encourage that regularly, but very few people take them up on that. Well, you want to vote on the Oscars, of course. Yes, of course. And yeah. you want the incentive to take that <laughs> yeah. And you want those screeners. Yeah. Oh, well, uh, apparently they promise that you'll get the screeners. Like, that would have yeah. caused a riot if they'd taken this away. I don't know how the Academy promises that they'll get the screeners, though, yeah, because exactly. the Academy has not been in the screener business. Yeah, it's the studios. And it's the studios that have those lists. And I know one person that's in charge of that list for a major studio that combs the obits every day and just <laughs> changes her list. That's a... The truth. She, I, she, I told her the other day. I said, "Oh my God, you know, you just, you still doing that?" And she goes, "Yes, absolutely." Her list is the most up to date in wow. terms of those who can actually vote. I'd and love so to see that list. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, I don't see why the studios would feel they have to keep sending screeners to people that aren't going to help them in their quest to uh, to win an Oscar or a nomination. So, well, and it's famous that people will get screeners and not watch them. I mean, you talk about people yeah. putting off room. Like, there's a lot of screeners going to people who, even if they are active in the industry or not not watching them anyway. That's right. And I just think this whole thing is bogus on the part of the Academy to even get into this conversation. Oh, we're going to tell, they're, as they're telling them, we're going to tell the studios to please leave you on the list for screeners. That's almost a tacit endorsement. Watch this movie on your TV set, folks, which is against what the Academy's supposed to be about. They always say, we, we urge you to see it on the big screen. They've changed the rules so much in recent years, though. And particularly, uh, it, you know, with the foreign film and the short films now, the Academy does send out a screener set uh, for people to watch those things at home. It's very tough to watch Embrace of the Serpent, this Colombian movie, on your set. It's a black and, black and white art movie with subtitles. Very difficult. And that's the way these foreign films are now being judged instead of the way it used to be where you had to prove you saw it in a theater and that you saw all five. Now you don't have to do it. Now it's a popularity contest again. So I think the Academy's moving in the wrong direction in embracing the whole idea that you'll get your screeners, so why do you need to worry about losing your vote? I, I really don't think that that's what they should be about. Yeah. Well, maybe when the screeners all go online, because they're trying to get rid of the hard copies anyway, maybe that'll kind of nix the older people out anyway. Because uh, That will definitely <laughs> nix them and, uh, and Mr. Uh, Technology Challenge that's talking to you right now. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say that the incentive to go see something in a theater, because like, there's kind of the uh, unhappy medium to, of watching something on a DVD on a big enough TV screen, but watching something on a computer screen, that's much different. So maybe it'll encourage people to go to see it in a theater more. I don't know. Maybe I'm Well, we would hope so. As a film critic, you'd yeah. be horrified. Filmmakers would be horrified at some of the conditions they send these movies. And, you know, and the streaming business, which I get a lot now, they just send, send a link, and I figured out how to get it to work on my big screen TV. But... I'd say 90% of them freeze at some point. They're mm-hmm. constantly freezing on me. Oh, and yeah. uh, mm-hmm. sometimes I have to start the whole thing over. It's just, it's so frustrating. Well, that's one of the things that makes you wonder about The Revenant. If you're seeing The Revenant on a screener, <laughs> like, I don't know if you're going to like that movie. That movie is no. so built for the big screen. So maybe that's how Room pushes through because that's so a very intimate movie. Are. Absolutely. Mad Max, all of these are big. You know, I, I did a, a Q&A the other night with the George Miller at an IMAX facility. Uh, actually, it was IMAX's official IMAX uh, office uh, screen and it was gorgeous it was stunning and he goes himself he goes god i've never seen it 
in IMAX. Oh, wow. And uh, more people around the world have seen it in IMAX, but not its director until that <laughs> night when he caught the last 20 minutes of it. And I said, how'd you like it? Look good. <laughs> Look great. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so funny. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, we you had mentioned about this being kind of a a hard to predict year at some point you know this is our our inaugural season of this podcast we've kind of enjoyed that you know there's been a lot of sort of shifting narratives when did this be kind of come clear clear for you how things were going to probably go like is that different every year or is it always after these awards are given out or there's some years where you just know months in advance it's different every year it depends but if a movie wins three or four of these major guild awards you pretty much know that that's the way it's going to go because these they have cross memberships with the academy it's pretty much the thinking there Uh, you look to certain uh, groups that have a good track record but you can't always do that there are always somebody's going to be totally wrong this year in their you know in terms of oscar history and the way we try to predict these things but this has been a particularly difficult year to call. It's just been going back and forth. There's a lot of variables here. You have two kinds of movies that are sort of competing for the same voter, which is Spotlight versus uh, The Big Short. Both have social issue uh, things much bigger than uh, the basic plot of the movies themselves. Then you have these epic pictures in there, like The Revenant and Mad Max and The Martian, which would be even more of a contender had Ridley Scott been nominated for Best Director. But you have these bigger movies, and you have the big studios involved, and they've got a lot of money to throw at this thing, uh, whereas the indies don't always have that. And this year, there's been more big studio participation and certainly more uh, uh, in the in the Best Picture race, and which is why they've been spending right up to right now. I mean, this morning, I saw more ads for a Spotlight on the local TV stations. They're going because... There's so many people that haven't voted yet. And you the know, ballots are due today? The ballots are due uh, at 5 o'clock. And today to be Tuesday when we're yes, recording. Yes, and ballots are due at 5 o'clock, and there's a lot of ballots still to come in. A lot of people, I know a lot of people that hadn't voted, but you know, with online voting now, you can vote right until the last minute and get that in there. Uh, otherwise, you used to have to like deliver your ballots to Price Waterhouse, the accountants, right uh, here in downtown L.A., where we're speaking right now. Mm. And uh, a lot of people would. You know, there are various numbers of any year, but I've heard up to 500 ballots would walk into that building at the end. You know, wow. I'm, I'm not sure it was that many, but uh, that's what some of these consultants would say. One consultant actually told me, an Oscar consultant told me, she had somebody planted at Price Waterhouse just to count the number of messengers that would come in with stuff. <laughs> so, uh, uh, well, it's, Pete, I wanted yeah. you, you brought up money, which I wanted to ask you about. I've heard that there's as much as a billion dollars just sloshing around in <laughs> in this kind of like uh, Oscar for your consideration advertising stuff. What what is in it for the studios or these indies financially of, of winning an Oscar? How much of a of a boon, boost does it give a film? Well, I think it depends on the film and when it came out. I, I think a movie like The Hurt Locker wasn't helped much. Uh, you know, when that won Best Picture, that had been one of the lowest grossing. Best Picture winners in history. You know, I think it had made about $16 million by the time, and it had been played out in theaters, so it was already on DVD. It does work in foreign territories big time. Oscar is a great trademark, and if you've got a movie, say like The Big Short, which opened in December here, that can, that, it can be very valuable to The Big Short. It can be hugely valuable to The Revenant, which really didn't even get going on a wide release until January. They, they qualified it in a few theaters in December, 
But that movie now internationally, it costs so much. You know, that went double its budget. So it cost about $135 million and much more to market. And so that really needs to make about a half a billion dollars here. An Oscar would mean a lot to The Revenant. And that's why I think 20th Century Fox, which has notoriously been a little stingy with their Oscar campaigns in the past, has been throwing it at the wall with this one because <laughs> they really need to make it back here. And it could be hugely valuable uh, on an international basis. And it still has a lot of play playability, as they say in the trade, uh, here in the U.S. too. So uh, I think a movie like that can really benefit others, you know, that are just coming out on, on DVD today, like Spotlight, those kind of things, or that are playing on some of the other VOD services. It's bragging rights. Uh, they'll make a little bit back on the ancillary, but not nearly the kind of numbers in the past that some movies can make up to, I'd say up to about a best picture could be conceivably worth $50 million if everything fell into place release wise and, and the way they did it. It depends though, but not for a movie that was released in, in May, you know, Mad Max isn't going to make mm-hmm. any more. It's already on, on video and that sort of thing. So, so that's how we know the Revenant's going to win. There's $50 million on the line. <laughs> There's a lot of people at Fox that'll be voting. Yes. Yes, indeed. That's very true. <laughs> Well, Pete, you've given us a ton to chew on. There's a, yeah. a lot to talk about in just five days left before the Oscars. So thank you so much for joining us. And if you absolutely. change your mind and you think something else is going to win Best Picture, just let us know. We want to update our ballots accordingly. Oh, absolutely. I'm happy to do it. And I, I'll probably do a different movie at, at different places. So check a lot of different <laughs> sites. And uh, <laughs> yes. Keep them guessing. <laughs> before we move on to our discussion of the nominated short films, a word from our sponsor. In Forevermark's pursuit of absolute beauty, every Forevermark diamond undergoes a journey of rigorous selection. That's why less than 1% of the world's diamonds are worthy of the Forevermark inscription, a promise of beauty, rarity, and responsible sourcing. Each Forevermark diamond originates at a carefully selected source that provides benefits to its country and local community. This ensures that a Forevermark diamond helps improve the lives of those involved in its journey so you can feel proud to give, own, or wear your Forevermark diamond. Forevermark. A diamond is forever. Find your design at forevermark.com. So if you've ever tried really hard and then lost your Oscar party pool, you probably lost it on the short films, which are notoriously hard to predict. And for a long time, were really hard to watch. They'd be these shorts that got released in a theater somewhere in the middle of nowhere. But they've become more and more available in recent years. They're, most of them are released on iTunes, at least the the animated and the live action films. And uh, three of the documentary short subjects are HBO films, which aren't available exactly yet, but will be. So we took advantage and took the opportunity to watch all of the shorts that were available to us. Kind of, you know, you have to cobble them together. We get links. They're playing in theaters. The Some of them are on iTunes. And hopefully having watched them actually actually makes us more able to predict these categories, but I'm, I have a feeling we're going to start diving into some of them and think otherwise. I was going to start with documentary short because those were some of the trickiest ones to find and also really depressing. Speaking of hard to watch, I was going to say, like, <laughs> difficult to access, but also Ooh. incredibly hard to... I mean, I was just talking to Mike before we started recording, and not not to diminish the importance of these films, which are all covering very important, interesting t- subjects, but we got Ebola... Children with birth defects, 
the Holocaust, <laughs> PTSD and the death penalty, and honor killings in Pakistan. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, it's a tough order to watch all five of these. Though they are, you know, uh, all very, you know, interesting and, and necessary sort of urgent stories. Is this where I admit that I only watched one of them? Uh, that's yeah. fine. I'm going to let yep. you guys tell me who's going to win, and I'm just going to fill it in on my How, d- how depressing because, and, was the one that you watched, Mike? Really depressing. It was a woman who got shot in the face by her father and thrown in a river. Yep. That is called uh, A Girl in the River, yeah. And then survived. Yeah. And because she had absolutely no recourse, just had to, like, basically tell everyone it was fine. Even Yeah, the justice system that exists for this failed her spectacularly. Yeah. Spoiler alert. So I guess. it was a good reminder of something. I don't know. Anyway, good film. <laughs> but yeah, I didn't. It, it, it's I, I don't. Un, I'm just going to do a quick rant here. I don't understand why these HBO movies aren't on HBO. Like, if like you were now. HBO, would yeah. you be like, "Hey, we have three Oscar-nominated yeah. shorts. Why don't you watch them on HBO, on HBO Go HBO right now?" now? Yeah. yeah, that doesn't yeah. make sense to me. And they're trying to promote this platform HBO Now, where you don't have to have cable to subscribe to HBO. Yeah. You can just access it online. Right. Yeah, it's a little crazy. It's free so marketing H- advice to HBO. Yeah, HBO has three of these, which is a Body Team 12 about Ebola, Claude Landsman Specters of Shoah, which is about the Holocaust, and specifically the film Shoah from the 80s, and then A Girl in the River, which is the Honor Killings film. So, you know, heavy yeah. stuff there. Uh, Richard, did you have a favorite? Is, there, is that the right word oh, for boy. these films? Um, <laughs> that's hard to say. Um, I, I think that the Claude Landsman Specters of Shoah, which is much more about a filmmaker than it is about the Holocaust, but... Um, yes. I think that that's the most elegantly made. Honestly, it's it's or it just has the sort of most style. It's it's a more traditional talking head documentary, sort of interwoven with a lot of B roll and outtakes from the you know massive amount of footage that Landsman got while shooting Shoa. I feel it in a weird way. It begs a long. I mean, all of these really do beg a longer documentary. They they all kind of demand more investigation. But so I thought that was the most sort of artistically satisfying to watch. But Body Team Twelve, which is a very short, I think it's about thirteen minutes mm-hmm. story about a a team of people in in Monrovia, Liberia, who have to you know get on the the plastic suits and the gloves and the and the goggles and re- re- physically remove bodies from communities um, in order to help stop the spread of Liberia uh, or Ebola. Excuse me. <laughs> And did you know were ultimately successful in that in 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 on mass, but the this particular documentary follows one woman who's the only woman on her team, and it's I mean she's wonderful I mean she's she's you know very sort of a good subject for a film she's you know really sort of thoughtful about what she's doing and why she's doing it and um, I don't know I can see with a palatable running time and a, and in a strange sort of uplift to it by the end I could see that being one that the voters kind of stick to. I mean, there is the kind of old, maybe uh, somewhat biased adage that any short, you know, you just pick the one about the Holocaust and that's the one that's going to win. It has um, worked in many years. It has worked in many years. I will admit to doing using that strategy when <laughs> filling out my pools in years past. I believe Peggy Siegel um, advised us <laughs> she to did. do that. That's right. So, okay. So just last week we were reminded of this. But I don't know. Something about Body Team 12, I believe on Gold Derby, that's, it's the one that's, that's ahead uh, on the on everyone's list or most people's list. So that's the one I'm going to go with. And um, I want to see more about this woman. And there's a, the the very remote, silly c- celebrity curiosity factor that Olivia Wilde is a co-producer on the film. Sure. No, she will I... not go up to the stage and accept the Oscar if it wins, but you okay. know, <laughs> not like Christine Lottie did when she won a, a, short, a short Oscar. <laughs> did she really? Yeah, in the 90s. Really? Yeah, in the 90s yeah. So Christine wow. Lottie has an Oscar. Yeah. Hey, I mean, you were talking about the one that had the best production values, and I would have said that for Last Day of Freedom, which is kind of animated. It's a, you know, it's a rotoscoped interview with this man who's talking about his brother who was in Vietnam and had PTSD and really struggled when he came back and eventually murdered someone 
someone and was uh, executed for it. It's re- I mean, it is heavy, heavy stuff. But I thought the animation yeah. style was so beautiful and so like evocative of the emotions that this guy is telling a story that happened a long time ago and he's trying to keep himself together for the most part. But the animation does a really good job of telling the story of brothers which made that one, I think that one had the most emotional impact for me. But in terms of predictions, I probably would just go with Spectres of Shoah because A, it's the Holocaust movie. And Shoah aired on PBS in America, so it never won an Oscar. It wasn't eligible That's right. for yeah. Oscars. And it's this huge, titanic achievement in documentary filmmaking. And that, it's about filmmaking. Yeah. You know, so like which... maybe this is the opportunity for them to reward Shoah, which is a hugely important movie. Yeah. And what I would like, I mean, what the documentary does, particularly toward the end, is it... It zooms out and Lansman's talking about what an extraordinary sort of, you know, he was in the French resistance at the age of 17. And, you know, mm-hmm. he just lived in this incredible century of hardship and, and all this stuff and historical sort of hugeness that, you know, maybe if this won an Oscar, like the, it could get zoomed out and, and maybe sort of explored a little bit more. Because there is an interesting story about someone sort of, you know, it, re- it reminded me of Munich, the the, the Sweden Spielberg mm. film a little bit, just like going back into the sort of recent past and sort of investigating a crime or, or sort of trying to make sense of it um, while people sort of, while you're met with resistance. I don't know. So I think there's something really interesting there. And I, I wouldn't be certainly disappointed if that won. But sure. just for the sake of the sort of the hero journey, I like I like that Body Team 12. Yeah. Uh, moving on to live action shorts, which, uh, you know, they're from many different countries and really wide variety. And even one of them is kind of a, I think two of them are kind of comedies. It's a nice yeah. relief. There's Ave Maria, which is set in a, I, not in quite in Israel, I guess the border between Israel and Palestine and uh, a Jewish family crashes their car outside a convent. Day one, which is about an interpreter working with the U.S. military in Afghanistan. Everything will be okay, which is German. It's about a father with spending a day with his daughter in the middle of a custody dispute and how that turns out. Shock is about two children in Albania. Did I get that right? It's uh, in the middle Kosovo, of the... Kosovo, I believe. Kosovo, yeah. Yeah, Kosovo. Ethnic in Albanians the... in Kosovo, yeah. Yes, in the middle of that war. Um, and then Stutterer, which is this kind of charming uh, short film about a young man with a stutter who wants to meet his online girlfriend. Yes, uh, Stutterer <laughs> is the most palatable of the... I mean, like, it's just, like, <laughs> it's two like a... attractive people, like, flirting on Facebook. and Yeah, yeah it's, yeah. like, 11 minutes I, I, long. I liked Ave Maria a lot, actually. Yeah. And, you know, for taking that kind of... You're almost in crouch position when you realize, oh, here we are on the border of... <laughs> Israel Palestine yeah. with an yeah. Oscar nominated film and then it turns into this about weird yeah and it turns into this weird comedy about yeah. these Israeli settlers having a culture shock encounter with I assume Palestinian Catholic nuns which yeah. is just like totally weird how is that funny it's funny I yeah and the nuns are kind of scrappy and you know are fixing cars and stuff yeah. and like you know it's just they it's a nice kind of look at a sort of extreme place in a remote place and sort of lives that live in it that you don't necessarily think about living there. Yeah. 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 No, I think that one has a – I've heard that one predicted. I haven't looked at the latest expert predictions, but I've heard a lot of people say that one just for being, you know, somewhat politically relevant but also – uh, entertaining to watch could really win. I would say my favorite of the five was Everything Will Be Okay, the German film. Me too. Um, the little girl in that is so good. And uh, Joe Reed, our f- frequent podcast guest, we was talking about the shorts with him yesterday, and he mentioned that a lot of that film is shot from the level of the girl's kind of eyeline, mm-hmm. which is really interesting. And um, I just think that was one of the best performances I've seen in from 2015, maybe. I mean, she's, yeah. that little girl is so good. Um, so for that reason alone, and it's a hard story that's kind of told in a very sort of 
contemporary Euro, very just verite, not a lot of adornment kind of style. So there's not a lot to grab onto um, kind of aesthetically. But I don't know. I think it's it's pretty it's it's interesting and it's sad, but it's not unlike the one set in Kosovo. Just you know, not devastating. devastating. Yeah. yeah, that one is very devastating. Yeah, which not which is why I kind of think that one will win. I think Shock, the one about two yeah. little boys uh, in Kosovo in the '90s, kind of. Experiencing it's very this. well yeah. made. It's yeah. really good. Sutter, I thought was cute, but it, it looks like it was shot on a camcorder. Yeah, and <laughs> it's a little twee. It's a little. Film. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but it's a good one. It's just happy yeah. with yeah. the nomination. But I, I think Shock will will kind of will take it. That's my guess. Mike, what do you think? I don't know. I kind of like Ave Maria on the same theory. If it's about um, Israel, maybe yeah. it'll win. I don't know. I'm going to throw throw in for Ave Maria. I think I'll also predict shock, but really pull for everything will be okay because I also thought that girl was amazing and just, I don't know, it was just so lived in and such a contained story that was the exact length that it needed to be. And I, I was really impressed by that one. And I guess none of us will say day one, which is really hard to watch about this female, this interpreter in Afghanistan uh, dealing with a sort of crisis pregnancy, not her own pregnancy, but yeah, um, another and it's, pregnancy. I don't really know. I mean, it's it's well made, but I just don't, the, the point feels sort of lost in all this yeah. kind of... Misery. It's very, anyway. very dramatic. Yeah. Speaking of the point being lost, let's talk about World of Tomorrow in Best Animated Short <laughs> because apparently everyone thinks this is the best film of the year and I didn't understand why anyone thought it was good. <laughs> um, I liked the kind of melancholiness of it. Um, I, I, like you, Mike, had listened to one particular person, I think, I mean, to call him out by name, David Ehrlich, Rolling Stone I think writer, he would happily own that. Who's been a big Carol supporter, which I do agree with. And, uh, I but do agree World with of Tomorrow Carol. is also sort of, he's been beating the drum for this movie for a long time. I think I saw more value in it than you did, Mike, but I was not quite as sort of deeply existentially moved as I had planned to be based on what right. certain people had said I about think it. Okay. I think existentially moved is a good way to describe it just the, the way that it looks at the future it, it, it's an animated film very simply animated by Don Hertzfeld who's kind of a cult favorite animator and a little girl meets her clone from the future and the clone kind of shows her a vision of the future and what it's like and it's odd and kind of every sentence doesn't quite lean into the next one and you're, you're really kind of straining to figure out what it's all about but it just paints this kind of sad but also humane portrait of a dystopian future that I thought was really appealing and the the simple animation really sold me. To me it was just like an annoying robot talking to an annoying kid in like <laughs> really bad animation. So I'm obviously a moron. You you watched AI, Mike. That was a different movie. You you, you watched the wrong movie. So Mike, which uh which of this crowd do you like? I really like two of them. Bear Story, I thought was very beautiful and moving and sad, um, but really well done. And the animation was incredible. And what I liked about it was, like, the animation in Sanjay's super team is extremely good, too. But that's Pixar. Like, it's not even fair, right. you know? Then they've won in this category a lot. Right. And so this was kind of like, wow, an interesting, different kind of animation. I hadn't seen that style before. I thought that that was really cool. I also did like this crazy we can't live without Cosmos thing. I wouldn't Agreed. vote mm-hmm. for it, but that's a interesting, weird film. Yeah. that's uh, About two kind of Russian cosmonauts, I guess, who are best friends for life and mm-hmm. are both sort of, you know, number one and two in line to take this next space flight. Right. But are they just friends? See, that's what I thought was interesting oh, about it. 
interesting too. Given, yeah. given mm-hmm. the political climate in Russia, with um, not even being able to, what is it? You can't promote homosexuality to minors. Here's an animated film about two young men who are very close, into one point sleeping in the same bed. Yeah. Um, that I I almost took to be a sort of coded like, oh, this movie is actually about this, yeah, but we're, so right. we're dressing it up. Well, I don't know. That? Maybe I'm maybe I'm reading way too much into it. Either way, whatever it is, it's beautifully made. It's kind of wistful. It's simply animated, but but it's pretty. Yeah, that was probably I thought the most kind of disarming and surprising of of the five. Mm-hmm. How, how about you, Katie? What what about prologue? <laughs> Oh, <laughs> man. I mean, it's not a bad movie. It's like this, you know, hand-drawn film about warriors fighting each other in the distant past, and then there's a lot of blood. And it's, I mean, it's, it's impressive drawing. A student, a student. It's an art I, project. Yeah, I mean, I'm impressed by people yeah. who can draw, so I was watching this and saying, oh, it's, <laughs> it's very beautiful. I think but, you can yeah. say that about all of these films. I'm yeah, I mean, at least they did draw. nominate, yeah. at least they did yep. nominate that Pixar short Lava that played before Inside Out that's terrible. <laughs> so there's, you if know, If you're impressed favors. by people who can draw, you'll love this year's Oscar nominees for Best <laughs> yeah. Animated well, well, I mean, I think World of Tomorrow is my favorite, and that one is very crudely drawn, so maybe that's a, you know, it's an irony there. I did really like We Can't Live Without Cosmos, though. And I think if Harvey Weinstein were uh, had a campaign behind this movie, he would be saying what you're saying, Richard, about how it's uh, pushing boundaries in Russia. <laughs> honor it's the time. gays. Honor the <laughs> time. Yeah. Honor the cosmonauts. Yeah. <laughs> do, we, what do we think we're going to win? Do we think, think World of Tomorrow? That's been a kind of critical, darling. I would say probably not prologue, probably not Bear Story. I think World of Tomorrow will be proof of what Pete Hammond said, that Oscar voters actually care what the pundits think. Otherwise, mm-hmm. it will okay. lose. Right. Yeah. If it wins, then it's proof right. that they don't know, they didn't get the chance to watch them, and they looked at Gold Derby to tell them which right. film they should vote for. Right. If it loses, I hope it loses to Bear Story. And Bear Story has the benefit of there are no words, it's short, it's pretty yep. to look at. Done. It's a nice, sort of heartwarming, European. sad story. Yeah, yeah, it's vaguely European. Are we yeah. like just idiots and not thinking that Sanjay Super Team is going to win because like there are people from Pixar who actually vote? Pixar on doesn't office. always win though. This category yeah. can surprise you a lot. So yeah. it's not. It's a, a charming it's a little film, by the way. But it uh, is. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, it's a you know, in a year of very white nominees, it's about an Indian kid who's learning to connect with his father's traditions through superheroes. So, you know, not a message that should be lost on the Academy for sure. There's that. So, official prediction. Uh, I, I think I guess I'm going to go with World of Tomorrow. Bear Story. Uh, sure. I'm going to I'm going to side with Mike and say Bear Story. Well, if you lose your Oscar pool based on all of our predictions, we apologize. We're These sorry. categories are difficult, <laughs> but hopefully, a little bit of knowledge has served us a whole little bit better than usual. And I, having never really seen most of the shorts before, it was a, it was a nice experience just to watch them, just to kind yeah. of know. So yeah, yeah. they are. Yeah, the uh, two categories are available on iTunes to rent for about seven dollars, I think, and are very much worth your time. And now before we talk about Lady Gaga and Sam Smith and all the other Best Original Song competition, a word from a sponsor. This episode of Little Gold Men is sponsored by Squarespace.com. If you wanted to start your own Oscar blog and compete with the likes of Gold Derby and VanityFair.com, you could. With Squarespace, you can make sites that look professionally designed regardless of your skill level with coding. There is no coding required, in fact. It has intuitive and easy-to-use tools, and you get a free domain if you sign up for a year. When you decide to sign up for Squarespace, make sure to use the offer code GOLDMEN, G-O-L-D-M-E-N, to get 10% off your first purchase. Squarespace, build a beautiful. So now 
it's time to go big before we go home with just days left to go before the Oscars. And look at Best Original Song, which has the benefit of having very famous people nominated in it, which it usually does. Uh, Three of them will be performing at the awards themselves. Lady Gaga has been on a weird roll lately between the national singing the national anthem at the Super Bowl and winning a Golden Globe. So uh, I don't know. Is she going to what's the EGOT when it's just a Golden Globe and an Oscar? She's going to get whatever that is. She'll get a Tony someday. I mean, yeah, it's true. That's inevitable. I know that I'm in the minority here, but I like the Lady Gaga song. I like a Diane Warren ballad. I'm kind of into it. It's corny. But it's going to play really well at the Oscars. She is I like a Diane Warren ballad. It doesn't sound like a Diane Warren ballad to me, though. It's so slow and solemn and I don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't have I don't want to miss a thing to it. Can someone tell me what The Hunting Ground is, the movie that it's, it comes that's from? That's the documentary about sexual Campus assault rape. on college campuses. Oh, gosh. Okay. So it plays, right. it plays, well, it plays just enough before the closing credits that it qualifies because like, that's the new rule, right? You can't yeah. just play over the closing credits. It has to play uh, in the movie. Yes. Okay, so right, it plays, right, but right. it plays toward the end when yeah. you're you're meeting these these young women who have kind of come together to sort of form this group that's fighting this. It, it's it's pretty inspiring. And this kind of corny throwback from the 90s song starts playing. And it's, I mean, I was into it, so... Yeah. So, so that, do you think it's yeah. going to win, Richard? I think it has a good shot. I think the other thing is Diane Warren has been nominated, I believe, eight times for an Oscar and has never won. Yeah. So she is another person it's like Ennio Morricone who is due. She is the Ennio Morricone of best, best Original Song, basically. I can't believe she's never won. Mike, what's your prediction? Guys, you don't know this about me, but I, in my other life, I'm actually a huge <laughs> music snob. <laughs> and and I'm gonna, I'm here to tell you there is one actually great song in this list which has earned it by the weekend from the Fifty Shades of Grey soundtrack. So like if if anyone in the Oscar world knows about music, like you know c- cool good pop music, then they will vote for that. I don't know if that's the case, and I think it's entirely possible that Lady Gaga will win. But like that's a really great song it that is. was a huge hit this year. Yeah. That's like good. Like yeah. if they played it at a party, you'd be like. Awesome! Yeah, this song came on, and then and then Manta Ray is a is a pretty cool song, and Anthony from uh, Anthony and the Johnsons mm. sings mm-hmm. it. Okay, and he's a very cool guy, but he's kind of like over the hill a little bit. But I mean, he he's a cool dude. And then I just think you know the simple song number three from Youth. I just can't really see that winning. That's an interesting composition, but no. very. If you've seen the, the movie, it's like crucial to the movie, but I don't think a lot of people saw the movie. And if you listen to it on its own, it just doesn't. I'm really do bummed anything. that they're not performing it. Because yeah. like, I think I said <laughs> weeks so ago funny. on the podcast that just seeing people being like, what are we, are we watching? What is this? That would have been really satisfying. But um, And then there's the Sam Smith Spectre song, which. Uh, about which. The less said, the better. Well, the, I think the only reason it's nominated is because Skyfall won. It kind of set this precedent that we should nominate Bond songs. But Skyfall was the first Bond song to win. And I don't think there's any reason to expect. And Skyfall, a great song. Skyfall was a great song. song. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't, am I the only one who spent like the first four minutes of the movie just being like, what is this song? Oh, yeah, totally. no, it's, Why is it's this no a bad good at song all. playing? Yeah. Well, it's like but, a slow kind of dirge-like song that should not be opening an action movie. I don't yeah. think, no. you know. It was like the kind of provinciality of England in a song. I was like, they don't know that there's other people they could have hired to make this Little song. Little Lord like, Fauntleroy. Why did they pick they this hired, guy? They hired Radiohead, and they turned it down, and Radiohead released that song, I think, on Christmas Day, and people uh, were even more upset. So they were kind of like in a pinch. 
I guess so. Okay. Well, I'm kind of surprised the Coldplay Bond song hasn't happened yet. Maybe that's oh. the next one. It's it's, Don't it's give inevitable. Them any ideas, Katie. Come on. I know. Well, I I think I agree with you, Mike. That if they want to feel cool, they'll not they'll give an award to the weekend. But I I don't know. I just feel like Lady Gaga and Diane Warren are a really tough team to beat. They've been campaigning. Like Lady Gaga's been showing up at things. She really did kill it at the Super Bowl. I got, she did. She was great. Yeah. If it was ever a thing that people voted for Oscars based on who they wanted to see give a speech, I think that Lady Gaga has it in the bag. <laughs> oh, my God. Do you know? Because like, people are curious about that, right? What she's yeah. going to be wearing, what she's going to be doing. Do you remember know? how happy she looked to win a Golden Globe? And like, this is a real award. Exactly. Like, just think so, of it. I don't know. I'm, I'm hoping for that. I think it would be interesting. But yes, Mike, you are right that sonically... Artistically, perhaps the <laughs> if you're gonna is, if you're yeah. gonna actually listen to any of these like yeah. in your life, yeah. I would choose the weekend. But yes. I think you guys are very persuasive on this count, and I think when I write this category later today, I will say will win Lady Gaga should win the weekend in my personal opinion. Fair and enough. just think of how spoiled we've been in recent years by Let It Go and Happy and the Lego Movie Song and all of those things that uh yeah, there's were not really quite one songs. of those this year. No, no, it's kind of an off year for the category, which makes it even more fun to predict, probably. That does it for the first of this week's Little Gold Men. We'll have another special pre-Oscar episode coming this Saturday because it's such a busy week. There's so much to talk about. So look forward to that. And in the middle of this busy week, again, don't forget to rate us and review us on iTunes. We really appreciate it. You can find us all writing about awards season this week more than ever at VanityFair.com. And you can follow all of us on Twitter. I'm at Katie Rich. Mike? Mike underscore Hogan. And Richard? Rylaws, R-I-L-A-W-S. This week's award for Best Secret Identity goes to music snob Mike Hogan. Guys, you don't know this about me, but I, in my other life, I'm actually a huge music snob. This episode was produced by Sam Dingman and engineered here in L.A. by Jake Gorski and edited by Tim Eidenkel. And thanks to Laura Mayer and Andy Bowers at Panoply. I'm David Remnick, host of the New Yorker Radio Hour. There's nothing like finding a story you can really sink into that lets you tune out the noise and focus on what matters. In print or here on the podcast, the New Yorker brings you thoughtfulness and depth and even humor that you can't find anywhere else. So please join me every week for the New Yorker Radio Hour, wherever you listen to podcasts.